Folks, maybe you've been wondering why we've been off the air for two weeks. Well, let me tell you. Let me hit you with some truth. We have been at the Handlebar drinking during their happy hour, which is seven days a week. I assure you, we've been doing it in moderation. But nonetheless, we have been enjoying the sweet, sweet happy hour of the Handlebar right here in Chico, which is every day from 2 to 6 p.m., where you get a dollar off all of their amazing draft beers. We've got 28 on tap. They've got a full list of cocktails. They've got a full kitchen with amazing beer, cheese, and pretzels, if you ask either one of us. Go check them out, you guys. The Handlebar is located at 2070 East 20th Street. Again, right here in Chico. Don't be a fool. Just go check them out. It's a great local restaurant. Go support them. They support the show. Everybody wins. The Handlebar Chico. Why don't we begin? This... Is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello and welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema. This is a podcast about the intersection of the worlds of craft beer and movies. And my name is Max Minardi. I'm Johnny Summers. Thanks for getting back with us. We're good to be back. Good yeah. to be back. Yeah, saying indeed. back too much. Too yeah. much back. And we're back. This week on the show, we have our review of uh, actually the first feature film from director James Samuel. It's called The Harder They Fall. It's a revisionist Western that tells the story of an outlaw named Nat Love on the road to take vengeance for the murder of his family by a man named Rufus Buck. That's right. Then we're going to be drinking two beers from Alvarado Street out of Monterey, California. Uh, it's a West Coast IPA called Single Cone. That's going to be beer number one. And beer number two is a hazy double IPA called Audible Cues. Yeah, if you find yourself this Thursday afternoon possibly listening to the radio waves of KZFR 90.1 FM, you unfortunately won't be hearing our episode in its entirety. You're only going to get the first beer review and the spoiler-free portion of our discussion of The Harder They Fall. But if you want to hear the rest of our chat, which includes spoilers, right. our review of our second beer from Alvarado Street, and the fan favorite, Danger Zone, <laughs> plus more than 200 other episodes of this year's podcast, head to any of the following locations. Basically anywhere. I could just leave it there, but in case you need some help, we're on Spotify, we're on SoundCloud, we are on Apple Podcasts, and we drop new episodes, uh, with the exception of the past couple weeks, every single Friday morning at 10 a.m. If you do like our show, feel free to leave us a five-star review, or if you're a a wordy sort of wordsmith person, leave us a, leave us a, leave us a written review. Did I say rating yep. or review the first time? I don't know. Either way, you should leave us a, a, a rating too. And a review, in, yeah. With words. It helps people Rate find us with our words. show. It's great. Yeah, either way, it helps. Also, follow us on Instagram for pictures, Letterboxd for film reviews, and to see what we've been watching that we maybe don't talk about on the show. And also, Untapped for beer reviews, all at Fresh Hop Cinema, or check out our website, freshhopcinema.com. Yeah, we're also a fan of electronic mail. So if you have an electronic mail type letter you want to send us, send it over to fhccast at gmail.com. I promise we do read them when we get them. And if it's uh, relevant to what we're talking about or just funny or, or interesting, we'll maybe read it on the show and give you a shout out. Again, fhccast at gmail.com. That's right. And Patreon, if you haven't heard, we're on there. We do bonus episodes almost every single week, including our series on making films, bonus beer reviews, top five lists. Sometimes they're just us catching up, talking about life, having a little mini podcast. Wait, for wait, your wait what is Patreon? Ears. It's a way that we can make you more stuff and throw parties. Yeah. And then you give us gold coins <laughs> uh, every month on a per episode basis. Sure. And it's a it's a reciprocal relationship. 
You get something, we get something, everyone's happy. Yeah, for as little as $1 an episode, you can help support this show. It goes directly back into the show to buy beers, cover movie expenses, buy us equipment, and also throw swanky, stylish parties for our patrons, which we are going to be having, what, two this month? Yeah, two this month. Um, The first one, which will be happening on uh, December 9th, it's a Thursday, it's it's our bi-monthly movie night. And in this case, we're doing a virtual movie night where we all sort of have a group chat going and we press play on a movie of of kind of everybody's choosing, we sort of throw it to patrons to to pick a genre, and then Johnny and I decide between our giant brains what movie will be best for the group. And we've done it a few times. We've done um, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. We've done Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, so that'll be this the uh, this December 9th. That'll be our virtual movie movie night. And we also have obviously our monthly bar hang a couple weeks after that. I'm not going to tell you exactly when because that is exclusive to the people on Patreon. But basically, we all meet up. We have beers at a super secret location. If, you, uh, if you're if you on a certain tier level of our Patreon, we'll buy your first beer for you. So if any of that sounds fun to you, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema. With that, Johnny Summers, I say we get into beer for this week's episode. It's been sort of, uh, you know, I've been, I've been looking at this in my fridge now for two weeks because we missed last week, but you had these uh, queued up, ready to go. So remind people where we're drinking beers from and then maybe tell me a bit about that brewery, would you? Yes, we are drinking beers from Alvarado Street Brewing out of Monterey, California. If that sounds familiar and yeah. you're like, hey, you've yeah. done them before. Yeah. Excuse me, burping. Yeah, we did them on episode 186 back in August of 2020, and we covered Amigos IPA from oh, that's Alvarado right. Street. Yeah. It yeah, was it, it was, was good. An, an, yeah, it was an IPA, uh 7% IPA. I gave it a 7.9, you gave mm. it a 5. So oh. I like that one a little bit more than you guys. Sure. You guys, you guys, you. <laughs> guy. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. all right. So, Let me tell you a bit you want- real quick. Yeah, about Alvarado cuz it did sound familiar to me and I I feel a little bit better not having remembered because yeah, that, I mean a 5 for me is pretty middle of the road, but I I have mm-hmm. high hopes. But if you haven't had stuff from Alvarado or you don't know about their brewery, uh, they were founded by a father and son duo named John and JC Hill back in 2014. So not a super old brewery, but by no means new, I don't think. And they said this, what started as a neighborhood brewery restaurant in downtown Monterey has evolved into three locations dedicated to serving Monterey's County's locals and visitors alike. Uh, our breweries collectively dabble in a little bit of everything, but are best known for brewing progressive hop forward ales that span the range of hazy and West Coast style IPAs. We love us some crisp, clean lagers too and heavily fruited sour ales. Our sister brand, Yeast of Eden, which is a great name by the way, is known for mixed culture sour ales, often barrel-aged, employing native microflora and hyper-local ingredients to create beers of complexity and nuance, evoking a sense of time and place. That said, our first beer is none of that. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, sir, it is a West Coast IPA. What is beer number one? Yeah, because I did the beer notes, so I put the beer I was excited about first. So yeah, it's a West Coast IPA called Single Cone. (laughs) It is 7% ABV. Uh, It's a West Coast IPA built around the aroma and flavor of hops that have undoubtedly progressed the style into what it is today. With a clean fermentation lent by California ale yeast, the tropical blast of mosaic, deep tangerine of citra, and passion fruit dankness of Simcoe, all come into harmony that you can smell from several feet away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, have, have you I, opened yours? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel like sometimes breweries say that kind of thing, like aroma that'll knock your socks off from a mile away. But I did open this, and it was like, oh, hello. You are very, very uh, nosy, which is not how that word should be used, but I think it applies. I think it should be used exactly that way. Wow. Okay, 7%. I've opened mine. I've, I've poured it into my tulip glass, but I haven't tried it yet. Have you? 
Yeah, I have. Okay, thoughts. You're a big West Coast fan, so what are we dealing with here? Yeah, I am. And this is really, really West Coast. This is incredibly pungent. Like you said, this beer is nosy as heck. Yeah. Man, it has got a smell that is really, really dank. Tons of hops. Yeah, you you open this can. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. That is a, a vastly accurate statement. And it drinks interesting. I don't know if I love it. So okay. you're getting a, t- a ton of hops, lots of different things happening. You're getting multiple hop notes thrown at you. So you're getting, like in the description, all of these, the three different ones, the Mosaic, Citra, yeah. and Simcoe, they usually work pretty well together. And they do in this, it, it's a little dry. I'm getting a little dryness on the front, and it definitely finishes real super pithy, very, very bitter. Um, and I'm trying to figure out if it's in a good way or an off-putting way. I haven't decided yet. Have you tried it? Yeah, I, I still have not tried it. I was actually Googling something that I'm going to tell you about now because I was reading and looking at the can label, which is actually very eye-grabby. Again, you can, you can actually see this on our Instagram. Johnny posted a great picture. But it's a it's a bright yellow front with a hop cone on the front, and it says with little hyphens towards uh, portions of the hop. It says citrusy, dank, tropical. And then the one that catches me off guard, it says rad burp glands. So I, I have a body. I'm aware of things in it most of the time, but I did a quick search of WebMD just to see, like, is a burp gland a thing? It is not, I don't think. So I am curious what that means. And I did hear you burp already once on this episode, and I'm going to guess that this will do more, but I'm, I'm just, I guess they're just saying this is a burpy beer, but that's a weird <laughs> thing to say. If you ask me all, all that to say, no, I, I've still not tried it, but I, I'm going to try it now. The moment I get a chance to stop talking and let you speak your mind. That is something that the kids would call a weird flex, but okay. Uh, yeah, this beer will make you burp. That is fact. We've established that. I'm good with it. Definitely will. It's carbonated. Absolutely. Uh, the first word that comes to mind after I took a second sip is just aggressive. I mean, this beer is really really aggressive. It is in your face. It is like holding a knife to your throat, asking for all your taste buds. It kind of takes over your whole mouth. It is intense. I mean, this is, this is one of the most intense West coast IPAs we've had in a while. I mean, yeah. it, is, it is true to style almost to a fault. I'm yeah, man, this is the kind of one that can be very divisive to me personally, depending on the mood or the time of year. And we're, if people are listening to this in the future and haven't checked the date, we're, we're on December 1st of, of this recording and uh, 2021, and it's, I don't know, it's like kind of chilly out, and this is a very, very specific type of West Coast IPA, and, mm-hmm. and, and this one was canned, let me double check, yeah, a, a, just over a month ago, so they canned it in late October, and it's very, very, very bitter. And it, it's not the mm-hmm. sort of like malty heavy bitterness you might get from like an early stone beer, but it's a fresh hoppy bitterness and it's just so biting. Um, I've only had one sip, so I'm going to try again, but it's very aggressive. You're not even close to being wrong. Yeah, it feels a little out of balance. Like I want a little more dimension. Like I love the hops. They're the star. And if you're here for that, it's all it is, but there's no no sweetness to balance it out at no, all. No. It's just straight up hops and bitterness front to back, beginning of the drinking experience, all the way through your mouth, tongue, all the way to finishing, swallowing. And then the the aftertaste, it leaves you very, very, dry. very dry, very dry, super bitter. Um, 
yeah, you really have to be in the mood for this beer, and I don't think I am today. And I don't know, man. I don't gravitate towards West Coast IPAs that are this kind of lopsided towards hops. I love a hoppy West Coast, but it has to have a little bit of like nuance. It has to give me a little something. There has to be more of a supporting cast than just like chewing on a fistful of ground up hops. You know what I mean? I do. I also I'm gonna play. I'm going to play, yeah, the West Coast drinkers advocate here for a little bit. And and because I've heard so many and been part of so many conversations where people will say things like, yeah, like, they're, you know, and it's all I don't know. I don't want to, you know, yuck anybody's yum. But some people are just like, yeah, I, IPAs these days are all too sweet. And I just want a bitter IPA. And like, I can only find that from two different breweries. If you are that person, this might be the beer for you. It's it's fresh. It's brand new. They're cranking it out. It's just so, so bitter. Um, yeah. It's not undrinkable for me. Like, I, that's my thing. I didn't think I would, even based on the, on the way I described it, I didn't think I would like it as much as I do, which mm. is not to th- say I think it's amazing, but I don't think it's bad. And I actually think I might be enjoying it more than you somehow. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's maybe just because I'm more of a, a fan of the style. So I think I'll just be a little bit more, more critical. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like when you love something, you judge that style. With a more a critical eye. And I mean, it's not a perfect West Coast IPA for me. Um, I don't think it's going to be, you know, in my top 10 beers I've had this year. It's sure. it's fine. I think uh. to, to quote a maxism, it's it's <laughs> fine. Okay. Mm. Yeah, man, I, I think it's better than fine. Um, I get what you're saying. I think you're, you're definitely not wrong. I think it's just a preferential thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is so sharp and dry at the end. Though. That's wild. Uh, it, it'd be one if I were anything close to a professional. I'd have maybe a glass of water close by just to kind of give me that quenching aspect that this beer does not have. Mm-hmm. But I like the flavors, man. I, I think my biggest issue is with the mouthfeel and the way it sort of leaves my mouth dry. Mm-hmm. But I like the flavors. Like I like some of the mosaic stuff and, and the, the 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 citrusiness of I'm assuming the citra hop is uh, fairly light. If this were a if this were a West Coast IPA made with you know, maybe a heavier hop like an Amarillo or a, or an Idaho seven or something like that, or a strata hop. Like, I'd be, I don't know. I think it's too heavy, but the, the lightness of the body and the flavor in general, I think is keeping this on, on de- definitely the positive side for me. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad beer. I just don't think it's great. I would, I would have happily split this 16 ounce can with you. Exactly. It's that kind of beer. It's a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. And a lot of West coast IPAs, I would hoard the entire can right and put it all in my face and this uh yeah i'm not really possessed of the urge to kill the whole 16 ounce can so for me i mean this is like a like a six one yeah okay that sounds pretty pretty fair i think for me it's probably i'm gonna go six like it's 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 good i'd drink it again i'm not gonna probably seek it out though if i wanted to could i find it in chico uh no i actually picked these beers up down in sacramento I'm really glad like this hasn't happened too much where we've both been like, this beer's amazing. It's a nine or it's a 10. Where can people get it? And you'd have to be like, they can't. Like, I think you've gotten a bunch from out of town and they're all like pretty decent. You can go get them if you want. But I feel like we should make a concerted effort if we have beers that end up being amazing. Like, all right, if you really want to try this, you should reach out to us and like, maybe we can hook you up. We'll get a few extra if that's ever the case. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, that's single cone. From Alvarado Street, that's a 6.1 for Johnny. It's a 6 for me. Once again, you are listening to Fresh Hop Cinema. You might be listening on KZFR 90.1 FM. If you do get a chance somehow to try a single cone or or any of the beers really from Alvarado Street, we want to know what you think. So please don't hesitate to reach out.
And if you post a cute pic of yourself drinking this beer on your MySpace grams, tag us <laughs> at Fresh Hop Cinema. You can also email us at fhccast at gmail.com. Or if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to leave a rating or review and a review, not or. Nice. I like and. Sure. Leave a rating and a review because you're worth it and we're worth it on Apple Podcasts. Now you're going to hear a trailer for this week's movie, The Harder They Fall. No spoilers, so you're good to listen to the next segment. Man, old devil, this is going to be Buck's last day amongst the living. What exactly he do to you? Call it a professional robbery. I know who you are. That love, outlaw, hunts down those who trespass against him with no mercy. Where is he? Where is who? Your boss. My boss. Clearly, you don't know me. I heard Rufus Buck was back. So ain't no road to ask a friend to travel. You think Destiny's coming to you? My guns go back. A new day is dawning. Slow. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, a show about the worlds of craft beer and film with me, Johnny Summers, and that guy, Max Minardi, possibly on KZFR 90.1 FM. Subscribe to Fresh Hop Cinema on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast to hear this discussion in its entirety. It'll be available tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. on all podcast platforms. What you just heard was a trailer for this week's movie, The Harder They Fall. Max, tell me about this movie. Well, normally I'd have some clever intro and way to throw it to you for a conversation, but it's been a bit of a week, my friend. We've been off the air for a couple. Um, so I'm just going to read what the internet has to say, and it's one sentence that I think does an okay job at least establishing a plot. We can go from there, but the internet says, when an outlaw discovers his enemy is being released from prison, he reunites his gang to seek revenge, um, which is, I guess, an okay starting point. This is directed by a guy named James Samuel, who's who's better known for being a, a music producer. Um if I'm not mistaken, I read this a little while ago. I think he's the singer Seal's brother. Um, so maybe unsurprisingly, this is his first feature film. Uh, he wrote the screenplay with help from Boaz Yakin. It stars Jonathan Majors, who uh, I think we both love. We've seen most of his stuff, I think, at this point. And that was enough for me to be excited about this movie. But he plays totally Nat Love. He's sort of the, the, the angry outlaw that's on a, a revenge spree to chase down Rufus Buck, who here is played by Idris Elba. And they both respectively kind of have their own gangs of outlaws in the Nat Love gang. You have um, stagecoach Mary played by Zazie beats. You've got uh, Jim Beckworth by RJ. I want to say it's Siler. Um, Bill Pickett is Edie Gathegi. And you have a person named Cuffy played by Danielle Deadweiler, which is the one situation in this entire huge cast where I think the, the name of the actor would have been better suited to the name of the character Deadweiler. What a great Deadweiler. Western name. Um, on the side of the Rufus Butt gang, we've got Regina King playing Trudy Smith. She's sort of his right-hand lady and a, a very fearsome woman in her own right. And we can talk about how these characters end up pairing off against each other as the movie goes on. But Lakeith Stanfield is in this as Cherokee Bill. He's sort of the quick gun of the West and, and uh, another right-hand person of Idris Elba. And, and, and sort of in the middle of all this is Delroy Lindo. He's playing a, a sheriff named Bass Reeves. And there's more people we can talk about, um, but I'll just say off the bat, this movie came out October 6th at the BFI London Film Festival, and then it was released wide via Netflix and in a few theaters. I know it made it to Chico uh, on November 3rd, and it runs two hours and 19 minutes. This had been on both of our radars, my friend, for quite a while. 
I didn't follow the production or release too much, so I was surprised to find it on Netflix. Um, and I think you were stoked as well. But what did what did you think of the Heart of They Fall? I know it's been a couple of weeks since we've seen it. Yeah, I was super stoked for it, and uh, I was not disappointed. I was here for every minute of this movie. I really enjoyed Idris Elba. I think everyone in this movie uh, acted their parts very well. I mean, Lakeith Stanfield as Cherokee Bill was absolutely lights out. He was like cryptic and haunting and yeah. violent. And, uh, you know, I just loved, you know, the modernization of this movie. Like, what did you call it when we were talking uh, off air? Was a, um, yeah, help me out, a revisionist, it, yeah, a revisionist Western, which we'll talk about. A, yeah, which I mean so encapsulates what this was because it was all, you know, from the black perspective of, you know, a western and it's something that's never really been done in the modern era before, at least not in like a derogatory way. I know there's been some like black exploitation movies that dealt with westerns. Well, uh, I read Yeah, uh, listened to a podcast about that, but there's been some good ones out there. I remember uh, Denzel in what was it? Oh, um, <laughs> I keep wanting to say Seven, seven Samurai, that but that's what it was based on. Um, you know, the Magnificent, yeah, Magnificent seven, seven. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but this movie was, was so well written and I loved that, that sort of, of contrast of the old like Western way of speaking. And then yes. you have someone just speak in such a modern way. Like it just really was engaging and, um, it was beautiful to look at. I love the scenery. The costumes were amazing. Um, it felt kind of like I was watching an instant classic when I saw it. Uh, and I really loved the way that they incorporated the violence in this movie because it wasn't the main purpose and it wasn't the showcase, but they used it in such an effective like way of punctuating things. And it was like somewhere between Tarantino and like comic book. It really reminded me a little bit of um, a great anime that I like called Afro Samurai. Mm. Um, just the way that it pops. And I love the cinematography. There's certain scenes like when Idris Elba's rolling in through Redwood City and the the name of the city comes up behind him and they're writing like in front of the letters. Sure. There was yeah, just yeah. so many fun, cool cinematography tricks in this movie. Um, and the plot was there. It wasn't overly complicated. It's pretty much a straightforward Western right. plot. But it was so well executed uh, I dug everything about this movie. I was a really big fan, so I am I'm pretty stoked on it. I'm gonna watch it at least a couple more times. I guarantee it. Yeah, quick shout out to the cinematographer. Um, I, I had a trouble talking about this person's name when we covered Jojo Rabbit. Uh, Mihai Malimer Jr. I think he was the cinematographer on Jojo Rabbit and the master. Uh, he's a New Zealand fella. And the editor might as well shout out Tom Eagles, who also is from New Zealand, worked on Jojo Rabbit and Hunt for the Wilder People. So there is like this very cohesive um, vision throughout this movie. And I think some of that's probably James Samuel, who I, who is often called uh, the bullets. That's sort of his music stage name. Um, mm. but a lot of it comes from the crew that worked on this movie. Um, I, I like what you were starting to say. Like we should probably define a little bit like what a revisionist Western is. Neither of us are experts on Western films. Um, when I think of like my favorite Western, it's like, you know, probably, um, tombstone or, I mean, I, you know, I don't love Westerns, I guess is my point. Um, mm. But when it comes to unconventional Westerns, the one that comes to mind, you mentioned Tarantino, like Django is, is the closest I've seen to maybe getting away from the traditional white sort of storytelling of like the wild West and like 
taming Indians and capturing gold and robbing banks. And this one is very yeah. much different. Um, and I'm going to overlook the classic uh, Will Smith film, The Wild Wild West. <laughs> Actually, not intentionally. Uh, but yeah, I forgot about that movie. I'm really sorry. I saw it's it when okay. I was a kid and I got a toy should, from McDonald's one time. You should be happy that you've forgotten that movie. Didn't he put out like an album? To accompany that, like, didn't he do, didn't Will Smith do the music in that movie? Yeah, it was the soundtrack. Yeah. That song was a banger. Wicked, wicked, wild, wild west. I do think there's some, some, um, custom comp, some actual custom songs for this movie that, that, um, uh, the director did, but there's also a ton of like very modern needle drops that happen that sort of emphasizes mm -hmm. new style that I think you were kind of getting at, including like, I, I think it's a shame that Tarantino is sort of the, the benchmark for some of the stuff of, of like non-traditional filmmaking. Not that I dislike Tarantino entirely, but um, there are other filmmakers that do this stuff. I'm sure. And I just wish that some of that was in the, uh, the mainstream eye a little bit more. Um, but uh, performance wise loved it. I think it's tough not to love Idris Elba, you know, especially as like mm -hmm. a bad boy. Like yeah. we didn't, we didn't love um, <laughs> the fast and furious uh, colon, what the hell was it called? Uh, Hobbs, and, Hobbs Shaw. and Shaw. Yeah, sure. Uh, like the subdivision of that series. But like Idris Elba is so fun to watch. And when he gets to be like, I'm black Superman and he gets to kind of play the bad guy, he mm -hmm. sells it. It's like when he plays Charles Wallace in the office, like I believe him as this imposing dude. The problem I thought I was going to have was with Jonathan Majors as an outlaw because he's such a sweetheart. We saw him for the first mm -hmm. time in the last black man in San Francisco. I was like, OK, well, let's see if it works. And it super works. For me. super works yeah um i enjoyed it man it's i mean it's it's almost two and a half hours long it's an easy timeline to ostensibly get bored during and i definitely wasn't bored i think some of the stylistic choices did get a little bit old especially during the third act when things sort of switch to basically an all-out gunfight for the last mm -hmm. i don't know 45 minutes um there's a lot of character moments that are relied on to deliver some emotional punches to the audience and, and and some of them worked but some of them didn't and we can talk about that more when we start spoiling it but but overall it's super entertaining i think it's a great subversion of something that could be very stale considering the wild west was in the 18 you know 50s to to 90s maybe like there have been a ton of these made and there's a reason i haven't sought too many of them out but if there are more like this that show up on my radar i will definitely watch them because i'm all about new perspectives show me some cool stuff everybody's great that's my i guess initial thoughts yeah, I'm right there with you, man. I I was into it. I love the music. I love the visuals. Yeah, instant classic in my my opinion. You got any favorite shots? I know you mentioned like them riding into town with the with the name of the city kind of almost you know behind and in front of them at the same time. Anything else that jumped out to you? You know, there I was a lot of great landscape shots. I mean, a lot yeah. of the the surrounding areas that they incorporated with just you know, the shots of simple conversations was really nice. And honestly, the, the color was really vibrant yeah, yeah. and it popped in this movie. A lot of times with Westerns, it's so they become drab, dusty. they get a little dusty and yeah. brown and everything's yeah. just bleh. But then you had these, these people with just the most amazing color outfits on, like the fashion in this movie was tremendous. I Dude, really loved yeah. it. I mean, like, yeah. you know, uh, what's her name? Uh, Zazie Beats, yeah. stagecoach Mary. All of her outfits were just fire. Like she was so so amazing, dude. There's a scene with um, and I, I won't give too much away, but there's a sequence with with stagecoach Mary, Zazie Beats character, and Trudy Smith, Regina King's character, in the third act. Uh, I don't even now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know what room that was in, but there were like colors everywhere. And I can't even picture if it was fabric or like 
like dust or something, but but it was so colorful and vibrant. Like it, it does breathe some new life into what could otherwise be a pretty drab scenery. Yeah, I love it. I love bringing the bright colors into it. It just made it so visually grabbing. Yeah. You know, it's it's something like you have to have those elements of it to be successful when you run that long. And I feel like, you know, you have to earn it to be a movie over two hours. And this movie earned it. And I didn't even notice the time frame on right. this. It was yeah. just, it was a fun watch. It was entertaining. It had a great story. I mean, there was really not much wrong with this movie. The other thing to point out that might be a bit on the nose is that obviously talking about color in a movie like this is pretty important. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they do dwell on it in, a, in, I think, a pretty big way. There's a scene where um, it's Jonathan Majors' character and uh, Danielle Deadweiler's character who go to, do you remember the name of the town? It's, oh, it's, no. They, well, they, there's, there's a, it's like the name of the town that they've been doing the whole time. And then in parentheses, <laughs> James Samuel gives us, it's a white town and literally everything is white, which I thought was clever. Um, and I'm glad they didn't spend more time kind of beating us over the head with it. Like even the dust is white in that place. And they, they, you know, stuff happens there, but I thought that was a nice way of being like, Hey, in case you weren't aware of how, uh, white these tip these movies typically are, this is, this is my take on what a Western usually is. Mm-hmm. That was nice. Yeah, it was, it was such a stark contrast. Um, all right. Well, I think, I'm pretty good on initial thoughts unless you have anything else. And if you don't, I say we rate it. I think we should rate it as well. Are you ready or do you want me to go first? You go first. I'm going to solidify my number in my brain. All right. This movie's a 9.2. Wow. Oh, my God. That's so high. 9.2? Yeah. It's really good. Uh, I got to ask why it got the point two and why it was missing the point eight. I mean, it wasn't perfect and it was, a, I mean, it was a little on the long side. I think they could have wrapped this up. You know, it could have been a bit more condensed. Wait a minute. You just said you didn't notice the long runtime. No, I didn't. But it is a factor that plays into my brain when I think about rewatchability. Oh. And that is a factor that affects the rating. If I don't think it's immediately rewatchable, you know, there's a barrier of entry there with a two and a half hour movie. Whereas I think they could have been shorter and still been just as awesome. Okay. Well, in the danger zone, I'm going to ask you what should have been cut, obviously. But until then, I'm going to say it's an eight. I also don't think it's perfect. Um, my issue was not with the length. It was some of the stuff that happens, the way that some of these character arcs are resolved. I had some mm. issues with. Um, but overall, wildly entertaining. A fresh take on something that's been told a thousand times in terms of the Wild West. I also want to spend some time in the danger zone talking about how this movie opens with, and this isn't totally right word for word, but it says something like, uh, uh, while these um, character, while these people, what was it, while these characters aren't based on that's not even true because they are based on real people. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Um, they never lived at the same time. Right. But these people existed, I think is what the, mm-hmm. is what the slide yeah. says. Um, so we can talk mm-hmm. a little bit about like the Rufus Buck gang and who Nat Love was and who Stagecoach Mary was. Um, but I suppose we can leave it at this for now, which is to say that the harder they fall is for Johnny a 9.2. For me, it's an eight. And once again, you have been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, maybe on KZFR 90.1 FM. This movie is available on Netflix right now. If you get the chance to see it and you have thoughts of your own, find us on social media. We're at Fresh Hop Cinema or send us a well-worded, well-thought-out email to fhccast at gmail.com. Or head over to our website, freshhopcinema.com for film reviews, beer reviews, 
and episodes going all the way back to 2016. To our KZFR listeners, if you want to hear the rest of this conversation, which includes spoilers for The Heart of They Fall, our second beer from Alvarado Street, plus the unpredictable hot and bothered yeah. section, head over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to us, Fresh Hop Cinema. Do it. To those of you already listening on the podcast app of your choosing, we'll be right back to talk spoilers in the Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Welcome to the Danger Zone. If you're just joining us for the first time on this podcast or you have short-term memory loss or long-time memory loss, depending on how long you've been listening to our show, that's the portion of this here podcast where we talk about our film of the week, The Harder They Fall, as if A, everybody listening has already seen it, or B, people listening, don't give an F if you see this movie and you don't care if we spoil it, which sure as you were born, we're about to do. Yeah. So, um, Nat Love was real. Rufus Buck, real guy. Stagecoach Mary, real person. Um, I didn't do a whole lot of research, but I heard some other people talking. I read a few reviews where people took issue with this. Um, and, and, and the biggest thing was that, that Rufus, the Rufus Buck gang was, was actually a native American gang. Uh, they were Creek Indians and, um, I don't know. I, I think the idea of incorporating just a non-white cast and making this film a cohesive universe in and of itself is enough to justify fudging some other details. But does the idea of uh, a movie where a director has chosen to knowingly change the race of somebody, not maybe not to white, obviously, but change it at all bother you in any way? I mean, I don't know. It kind of fits the narrative, but like, also I don't like it when things are whitewashed. Right. You know what I mean, I, right. Like, so it's, it's tough. I don't know. I mean, if that character was native American, he probably should have been native American in the movie. And then, yeah, you know, somebody else could have been, uh, you know, or Idris Elba could have played someone else. Yeah. I, I guess it doesn't bother me that much. Like people for all of the history of film have changed stuff like that. I just, I almost wish there was like a little bit of a nod somehow, at least or like in like one of those slides, like here or at the end of the movie, like here was the actual, cause I'm looking on Wikipedia. There's a picture of the Rufus Buck gang and, uh, they do not look like Idris Elba. Tell you that. Right. Like if you would have put one of those, like these are the real people I, I mm -hmm. think that would have gone a little ways for me. That said, it didn't bother me that much. Yeah. I mean, I would have loved to have seen a native American in that position. Yeah, I'm actually racking my brain right now. Like, I obviously there were white people in the white town, but other than mm -hmm. that, I think the cast was definitely mostly black. Were there any Native Americans or other other folks that were probably around for this? I don't believe so. I don't think so either. Um, I guess you could make the argument that Lakeith Stanfield's character, Cherokee Bill, I think they mentioned he's part Cherokee. Mm -hmm. um, but I kind of want to start with some performance stuff. So Lakeith Stanfield is a good enough jumping off point. You mentioned that he's uh, does a really good job in this movie. I'd agree. Um, I can't remember the adjectives you used to describe his character. Could you remind me? Oh, what, what did I, I don't remember what I said, man. Something um, like, I don't know. You said something like I, my impression was like a dude that doesn't, uh, I think you actually said this in the trailer too. Like I'm not, a. he says like, I'm not a man that prefers or that I, I don't enjoy violence, but you're in the company of some pretty violent individuals. Like he doesn't seem mm -hmm. like he likes killing people necessarily. <laughs> yeah, no, he was like brooding and like. Uh, like simmeringly dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I love a gunslinger. You know, like mm -hmm. I even speaking. This is a weird tie-in, but I even liked Idris Elba in um, that terrible movie with Matthew McConaughey and him that was based on the Stephen King book, The Dark Tower. Mm. God, that movie was bad. I think. 
but he's the gunslinger yep. that Idris Elba is. Um, Doc mm-hmm. Holliday in Tombstone, just like a, a, a quirky, charismatic, funny, deadly gunslinger is just right up my alley. And I, I yeah. like Lakeith Stanfield as that. And I want to say that Jim Beckworth was on the side of Nat Love's gang as their gunslinger, right? And they have this sort of rivalry, like they hear about each other. Mm-hmm. And I found that face-off to be disappointing. Uh, Yeah. Me too. To be fair, Jim Beckworth was counting down so slowly. Yeah. And he got shot through the face by Cherokee Bill, Lakeith Stanfield. And we get the shot of Lakeith Stanfield being like, they always count so slowly. And it's like, all right, true. But like, you can't shoot him. Also like Jim, how did you not see that coming? I thought it was a nice touch. They had a, a bullet with Cherokee Bill's name on it. That was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But it ultimately was like, all right, well, you just got, you got killed. Yeah. Like it didn't feel like a fair fight. I no. Felt kind of a, I was like, man, that sucks. Just and I guess the that payoff one. is that Cuffy gets to kill Cherokee Bill later. But even that kind of felt half hearted. Like they, they did a close up on Cuffy's face and it was one of those moments where you're like, oh no, who got shot? And it was like, okay, well, Cherokee Bill got shot. But like, I would have wanted, I wanted to see. I wanted to see the gunplay. Like I want that in a Western. There's tons of gunplay in this. Don't get me wrong, but like it's the the emotional stuff. Like that's mm-hmm. been building up the whole movie, and I get robbed of that just so that I can wait another twenty minutes and not really see it go down. And then who gets shot in the shot in the back? Maybe I need to double check the cast here because I want to make sure I'm not conflating Jim Beckworth with Bill Pickett, but I might be. I don't think you are. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah. Um. But aside from Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, who else did you love? I really love Zazie Beats as Stagecoach Mary, and then Regina King is always kind of She's undeniable. So intense, uh, yeah. so intense. Yeah. Like she plays mean and like villainous really yeah. well. Yeah, she does. Like she was ruthless, and I was super into it. Uh, really loved her character. I think uh, Daniel Deadweiler's Cuffy was. Yeah. Fantastic. Just as like the scrappy kind of uh, androgynous character uh, really dug her. But yeah, like I think the two gunslingers stood out just because they're kind of like the they're the fighter pilots of the Old West. Yeah. You know, they're just the badass that everyone wants to be. Uh, so Lakeith Stanfield and RJ, RJ Siler were like probably my two favorite characters in the movie. Yeah. There's a yeah. I was also kind of let down by um, Rufus Buck's involvement in the final face off like he or literally yeah he stands and looks out a window you know smugly for the whole time and, and he's good at it idris elba can look smug through a window and i will watch him for longer than i should mm-hmm. um but i was like all right and obviously we're gonna get the face off between him and that love eventually but there actually was a great shot which uh took sort of a camera shot from over idris elba's shoulder in this um i don't think it was the church tower but it was like a some sort of big building and it's all glass mm-hmm. windows and it starts behind him, goes through the glass. And it, it's like a 45 second shot of this crane just like moving in closer and closer and closer into Nat Love. And that's an mm-hmm. awesome moment. I loved that shot. It was, took a lot of patience and could have taken away from the momentum of that final, like that face off. Cause they're mm-hmm. so far away. Like another director might've just cut between the two faces, but I thought that was an awesome shot. It pulled me in real good. Yeah. It was a good choice that they made. What did you think about the use of, Oh man, there's a song in particular. I wish I could think of it. It's a song that plays when um, Idris Elba's broken out of that safe in the train, and like mm-hmm. he gives the order to kill everybody but that kid. It's this, it's like reggaeton song, and I'm gonna see if I can find it real quick. But 
just in general, you were you were a fan of sort of the modernization of the of the soundtrack. Yeah, I liked all the music quite a bit. Yeah, that song drove me crazy. <laughs> really? What it was. Um, but it was stuck in my head for about four days, and I, I haven't seen this in about a week and a half, but oh, maybe I can find it here. Uh, yeah, no, it was like super like reggae. Yeah, it super was. Yeah. Uh shoot. I wish yeah. maybe I'll find it when I'm editing this and I'll play it under my voice now and everybody like either yes that's annoying or like no that's dope <laughs> and i don't know we'll see <laughs> uh i'll make a note of myself to do that or to myself to What else you got on this? Man, I think I said a lot about it. I don't have a lot to spoil. I mean, we could go through like who lived and who died, but I don't think that's, I don't feel possessed to spoil it in that regard. It didn't make the movie for me. I think the whole movie was really most important and at its best in the first and second act. And the third act, like you said, was probably where all of my problems were with it just because of the, the way those characters were built up and the way some of them left us uh, on screen left me wanting more. But I mean, overall, this is a rad movie. I think you should watch it if you haven't. Okay. I have two things then. One is the face-off, the face-off between Nat Love and Rufus Buck. Like, by the way, the first scene in this movie where Rufus Buck carves that cross into his forehead, we don't see that mm-hmm. part. Like it's not, it's not exactly like Inglorious Bastards when you see that happen mm-hmm. with the uh, uh, Christoph Waltz, but it's a pretty brutal opening scene, but I guess you kind of have to have that. Like we got to be invested. So we're going to get yeah. this face off. Like that's what we're here for is like this. Finally, he's going to get a chance to take his vengeance and we get a pretty long winded bad guy speech from Idris Elba. Who's basically like, you know, I, I had this horrible dad growing up and then I chased him down. Bada bing, bada boom plot twist. It was your dad. I killed your dad. He sucks. I'm your brother. You're really going to kill your brother? He does. And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. That would be tough for sure. But I, it didn't hit me in the way that I think it was supposed to. Like, I was like, yeah, no, like, kill him. He's terrible. He's the worst dude. Like, sure. Yeah. It really didn't have the impact. I mean, it's been two and a half weeks since I watched this movie. Yeah. I forgot about yeah. that plot twist. And I, I think, like, I'm not a huge subscriber to the idea of, like, the blood of my failed ancestors flows through my veins, which is like, the, like the Aragorn thing. Like I can never hold the one ring because Isildur was, he was whatever. Like who cares? That's not how anything works. We know that now that's not, you aren't that. So like, yes, you're killing your brother, but your brother's sort of a dick and he killed everybody. So yeah, you can kill him. And like that, it was, I think it was supposed, like they played it in the movie. Like, this is this terrible, horrible decision you'd have to make. But the Nat love that I have learned over the past two hours and 11 minutes, no, just kill him. He's the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And then as far as like killing bad guys goes, the movie is left with a bit of a cliffhanger. We are led to believe that Regina King's character is still alive. Uh, so I will see this next movie. Obviously, I really like this. Did you feel the same way? Do you, How do you feel about cliffhangers in general, like this one in particular? Yeah. I, it made sense that they were setting up for another movie. Like I wasn't upset with it. Yeah. I was like, okay, it's, it's going to happen. I'm can here you, for it. Can you remember how the fight ended between Zazie Beats and Regina King? Oh, 
like they're fighting mm-hmm. that awesome colorful space and then something happens and like it's back and forth for a long time but i could have sworn like i remember thinking okay regina king's character is dead yeah zazie beats beat her up with the shotgun yeah and then i so in that respect i don't love when they just kind of throw in an extra scene where you just see her holding her hat and it's like all right i guess she's still alive so we'll come back for the next one which is i guess kind of the same problem i had to some extent with the rufus buck reveal it's like there were no breadcrumbs to suggest even a little bit that that was the case like i don't think that i don't think they're even far enough apart in age for that dude to have been idris elba's dad right it just felt cheap like all right we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make a sequel so here's some half-hearted exposition as to why this is probable or even possible so come back and buy more tickets i guess and that stuff never feels good to me yeah no i agree because the whole left field nature of that twist i it that's probably why it didn't make any sense you're just like what yeah i like what you said about yeah zero breadcrumbs nothing leading that way no teasers it was just a massive plot twist like 15 seconds before Elba dies and it's like uh yeah what was that supposed to make me feel right or but then you put it up against a movie like um knives out maybe or um a movie in which the first rule is you don't talk about it and you get mm-hmm. some flashbacks and you watch it again and you're like how the fuck did i not see this the first time that's mm-hmm. the stuff that i think makes for a, a great film and a, the rewatchability factor is for sure a thing um so when you were talking about this being a bit long-winded for a rewatch, I disagreed with you on, on the basis of time, but was like, yeah, like, I, I don't know that this justifies that for the sake of um, getting down with understanding it more. You know, like, it's pretty straightforward. And the fact that they added that in the end, I was just like, okay, it feels like a money grab to me. Yeah, it felt a little unnecessary. Like, it was literally just setting up a yeah, sequel. right. Like, um, yeah. So that those are kind of my qualms with it. In general, like, pretty, pretty fun movie. So I'm into it. Yeah, hundred percent. I dug it. Do you have anything else on the harder they fall? Nope. I think I'm good, man. Would you like another beer? I would love another beer. What is our second beer? You've picked this one out as well. I assume it's not available in Chico either. No, pick this up at Curtis Park Market in Sacramento, along with our first beer. They got to start paying two. us. I guess I demand being paid. Curtis, is it Curtis? Does, does Curtis in the Curtis Park? Is there a guy? Named I've Curtis? never met anyone there named Curtis. So I've never met anyone just... named Curtis. No, that's, I mean, that's either. not true. I have. I have. But Curtis Park is actually the neighborhood that it's in in Sacramento. Sure. Okay. Well, what's beer number two, my friend? Beer number two is Audible Cues. It's an 8.4% hazy double IPA. It's so low bitterness that there's no IBUs available to record okay. in this beer. It is defying the laws of science. Let's see what they say on their webcyticles. Low bitterness, hazy double IPA with Phantasm and the Thiol Turbo Boost, because we all know what that means. I was going to say Teal, T-H-I-O-L, if there's any beer nerds, or maybe uh, maybe Alvarado Street, if you're listening. What the hell is that? I don't know. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack. First, Phantasm is dried Sauvignon Blanc grape nice. must from New Zealand that are loaded with Thiol precursors. Thiols are tiny compounds responsible for big tropical fruit flavors like guava, passion passion fruit, lychee, and have that good diesel intensity that many of us hopheads crave. The the TTB, thiol turbo boost treatment, involves using a yeast strain with enzymatic capability. That's a fun word. Enzymatic. Enzymatic, yeah. Uh, Yeah. 
they have that capability to transform <laughs> thiol precursors into actual thiol compounds present in their beer. You know, it's like freebasing cocaine. You need a little little precursor. Uh, long story short, we're augmenting the final concentration of free thiols present in this beer through fermentation and the unique properties of Phantasm. I have no idea what the fuck I just said. I think I we just lost good. we lost the ability for them to like quote us. Because oh yeah, our, they, this podcast says our beer is like freebasing cocaine. Is that what you said? Yeah. Freebasing, freebasing cocaine. I don't know, you know what that means. That's good that you don't know what that. But means. But I don't know what theols mean either until you told me about it. And I, I guess I know a little bit more, but not really. I'd still love to hear from uh, from anybody really. But Alvarado Street would kind of be the, the 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 best way I think of learning about this. So yeah, let's just go at this. I suppose my friend from the unscientific perspective of trying a beer one that i would guess you're not going to love because of the hazy factor but but maybe all of that uh talk about hopheads craving this and bitterness and maybe you'll dig it it's 8.4 percent, so at the very least it might get you where you're going if where you're going is uh, oh wow buzzed yeah you know that's a good place to be is you know that two beer <laughs> that two beer feeling yeah yes to be okay. sure hey uh, you've tried it i have this beer is shockingly tropical fruit adjacent. Like the first thing that popped into my head when I tasted this beer was kiwis. Oh yeah. Um, big kiwi notes, big, strong, tropical, like almost punchy, not like punch you in the face, like oh, that's fruit fun. punch. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, very, uh, it's like a, a basket of tropical fruit in a glass that will get me drunk. What color would that punch be out of curiosity? yellow because i'm getting like a ton of pineapple too it'd be like a yellowy green it's pineapple kiwi yeah i was gonna go green um that's good man that's that's um i wasn't expecting anything but smooth but that's that's smoother than i thought um there's a little bit of heat on i gotta take another drink but that's that surprised me that was that was tasty yeah it's a very surprising beer i was not i mean you see a hazy double ipa you don't think it's gonna taste like kiwis no definitely not what pops in my head I also want to say I, I wasn't surprised because it was tasty. I was saying two separate thoughts. That was surprising. Also, it's tasty. Um, that is a lot, though. That's a lot. Second drink. Um, that's really sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's hoppiness and there's there, there's some bitter qualities, too, but that's far and away um, a sweet skewed beer. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. It smells like ripe pineapple, yes. papaya, like guava, definitely passion fruit. Yeah, all tro- I don't know any more tropical plants, right? Star fruit, maybe some dragon fruit. Nice. It ta- it smells like all the tropical things that I've ever tasted and smelled in my life. Is a kiwi a tropical fruit? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, if I, if you eat it in the tropics, kiwis are tropical. Is that how that works? If you eat a tomato on the beach of Bora Bora, it becomes a tropical fruit. Yeah, man. I don't know where kiwis come from. I don't know their life story. They could I don't be know tropical. Where Bora Bora is so fair enough. I, don't both I think it sounds Bora tropical. Boat. It does. It absolutely does. Um, do you like this beer? I don't think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, pretty sure I don't. Um, okay. Do you? Well, yes and no. Um, that's a stupid ass way of saying kind of. Yeah, I kind of like it. It's okay. <laughs> It's it's I gotta try it a third drink, but it's it's pretty sweet, man. I do really like the can, which I think we should give a quick shout out to. It's got something that actually, and maybe it's just the name of the beer, but it reminds me of the can design of the Moxa beer, Breaking Hues. Mm. This is called Audible Cues, so obviously those are close. Um, but I just really like sort of the color spectrum on here. It looks like almost like a 
like an audio wave form uh, graph of like a, like a, like an EQ spectrum or something that I have on uh, the software that we edit this podcast with. Um, yeah. It's very eye catchy. I get why you reach for both of these cans. They look great. And if you haven't seen them on our Instagram at Fresh Hop Cinema. Okay. I like it. Okay. Shameless hussy. I don't care. I'm going to try it again. <laughs> try it again. I've been sipping on it too, man. I don't know. It's just too fruity. It's too fruity. It's too sweet. Um, man, I, this is like a, like a, a smoothie, hazy double IPA with no, the it's amount of fruit not. that's in it. It's, it's not a, so no, fruity. It no, it's not smoothie-ish. It's too, no, it's but not it's, thick it's, enough it's, for that. No, but it's got that level of fruit flavor. Yeah. Well, that's, I guess that's true. Yeah. It's got that, but it's got, it's not, I just had a, a beer from, I played down at Dying Breed in Oakdale and they do a smoothie. Um, well, they do a couple series, but they do a smoothie, uh, sour series mm. called, I think it's 50, 50. If that's not may it might be their IPA series. I can't remember what it's called, but this one, no, it's 50, 50. It was called uh strawberry kiwi actually. So it wasn't their IPA. It was just a smoothie. I think it was a smoothie sour. And that it was with lactose too. And that was so thick. Like that legit was, this, I had my dad taste it who does not drink, not just beer. He doesn't drink anything. And I was like, dad, mm-hmm. try it. He's like, I don't want to try it. And I was like, dad, please. It's Thanksgiving. We're watching Lord <laughs> of the Rings. He tried it. And he's like, oh, it's not bad. It doesn't, it doesn't taste like beer. I was like, you, you bet it doesn't taste like beer. It barely tastes like alcohol. That tastes like a smoothie. And now I will, I will grant you, this has a lot of fruity characteristics, um, but it's definitely not like a smoothie. And I, I don't even think it's so fruity that you couldn't be like, yeah, I mean, this is a beer. Yeah. No, I mean, there's it just, I was, Jesus, man, get off my back. I'm just saying it has a lot of fruit notes in <laughs> no, it's it. It's very God. fruity, for sure. <laughs> um, I've had a third drink, but now it's been so long because I was talking about my dad and Thanksgiving. I'm going to take a fourth drink and then I'm going to have my final thoughts for you on this beer. Okay. It's smooth. That's for sure. Zero bitterness, uh, tons of, of fruit notes. But then it just kind of falls flat for me. Like it, it's huge up front, and then it just disappears. It dissipates into the mist of the jungle, like a like a bunch of of ripe bananas falling out of a tree. It just poof disappears. Okay, um, I think this beer. <clears throat> brace yourself. I think this beer is fucking great. And 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 let me tell you why, Johnny Summers. This beer is Give great it to me. because and and I'm pairing this a little bit with my experience with the first one. There's a time and a place, and I think for me, it's like 99% of the time in my life. There's a time and a place for nuance and layers and 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 the idea of an evolving experience. But I think for these two beers, they are very straightforward. These mofos know what they are. They're not trying to beat around the bush or or disappear into any jungle necessarily. They're like, this is it. Just drink it. And if you don't like this after the first sip, you're not going to like it at all. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a nice point to have like, look, it's a, it's a super fruity, sweet IPA with all sorts of sciencey shit in the description, which is fine with me. I don't know what the F good diesel means, but I'm into it. I like the acronym TTB. That's fun. The can's fun. It's a intense beer. It's 8.4%. Obviously, if you can't tell by the rate at which I'm speaking, it's a good, it's good. It's fun. It's a fun, simple ish beer. Does that make sense? And it makes and it makes young Maxwell happy, and that's good enough for me. Like I think, like I'd drink it again. I'm gonna drink this one. You know why not? Good enough. Yeah, I think this beer just isn't for me. It's yes. not a style I gravitate towards. And I, I mean, I want more bitterness out of a, a hazy, but that's kind of a you know rock in a hard place situation because they're not supposed to be bitter. But 
It's well made. I respect it. I just don't enjoy it. I really wish I understood what thiols were. Did you say thiol? Thiol? The thiol. Thiol. I think it should be. I, don't, I just want to know how I'm, to pronounce I'm it. I'm not an authority here, but yeah, I'm saying it's pronounced thiol. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm fine yeah. with that. It's a wonky beer, man. Uh, it is. I don't. I wouldn't call it straightforward. This one's pretty nuanced. Like, there's weird layers to this one. There's. I but, mean, there's weirdness to it, but I wouldn't call them too many layers. Like, for me, I'm hitting a wall of tropical sweetness. Mm-hmm. And that's. I mean, that's it. That's fair. At least, yeah. I mean, the brewery knows what they're about. Yeah, and I think if you're if you're there, I don't know. Like, I feel like some breweries go for go for go for, um, yeah, as many dimensions in a beer as they possibly can. And I think there's some respect I have for one that's like, here's this beer with this one thing we are trying to do well and whether or not, uh, it's your thing, fine, but this is the thing we are doing in this beer. If you don't like that particular thing, find a different beer. I'm sure we have another one that will meet your criteria, but this one is a TTB New England IPA. So go for it and just go for it. Dive in head first into the deep end of this beer. It's got that thigh all turbo boost. I made the mistake of Wikipedia in file and it got very, very chemistry on me quick. Yeah. And I'm actually not going to read it because it's, it's beyond anything anybody listening to the show wants to hear about. So never mind. but it's complicated. Myself included. Uh, yes. And I'm sorry. I read it to myself. Um, <laughs> fine. I'd like to know more about it, but I'd like it to be explained to me by a brewer or somebody, uh, not Wikipedia and definitely not myself. Good enough. Let's rate this. Let's do it, man. You go for, well, do you want me to go first since I like it less than you? Yeah, I'm gonna take my fifth drink. Okay. For me, it's a, it's a 5.7. Mm. I'm surprised it's above a five for you. Well, I respect it. Like I said, and it's just not for me, but I think it's well made, but my personal rating, how, how Johnny Summers feels about this beer, Johnny Summers thinks it's 5.7. Yeah. All right. I think it's a seven. It is fucking great. I don't, I'm not taking that back, but it's my God. It's a lot. It is so sweet. <laughs> It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, yeah, may, maybe I don't know if 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 you guys are taking suggestions over at Alvarado Street, but like maybe maybe we start doing some twelve ounce cans. See what that's about. A lot of breweries do that, especially some that are a little bit more intense. And this beer and the last beer, Single Cone, very strong personalities. Do they have? And I think yeah. personally, I would uh, much prefer a smaller quantity in a six pack. Granted, we yes. bought these, I assume, as singles. Yeah, then that's the saving grace of this is that you can buy a lot of places let you buy a single 16-ounce can because if I had a four-pack of this, yeah. Well, buddy, you'd be getting three beers. But I'd like, you know, I would I would drink a couple 12-ounce cans of these, maybe not back-to-back, but like, you know, save one for a week and if I was craving something sweet, I, yeah, for sure, this would be great for that. But 16 It's like all lot. beers, man. Time time and a place. Um all right, well that's Audible Cues from Alvarado Street Brewing. Before that was Single Cone back at the top of the show. And our adventure with them continues. Um, Alvarado Street, if you're listening by chance, please reach out. Um, we would like to drink more of your beers. I think there's probably a sweet spot, no pun intended, uh, in both of our hearts for your beverages. But for now, Johnny Summers, I suggest we put our discussion of beer to bed. What do you say? Let's do it and get to the hot and the bothered. Welcome to Hot and Bothered. It's the part of the show where we talk about things other than beer or movies, though sometimes those things do come up, but it's just not scheduled. It's not in our calendar, so we'll see what happens. I'm going to go first and say that I have felt in the past pressure to have to talk about something in this segment, yeah. and I no longer feel that pressure. So it's been a long couple of weeks for me, and I don't want to talk about it at all. 
So good enough, man. <laughs> though I will say just to um, uh, segue into yours, there is a new series on Amazon Prime based on a fantasy book series that I read when I was maybe in middle school. And it's called The Wheel of Time. And I watched the first episode and I am hopeful that it will get better, but I do like it for what it is now. And I know that you have also started watching it. Mm-hmm. I'm completely caught up. How many episodes are there? Well, there's four out right now. Oh, that's it. Okay, cool. Um, could you give me sort of the the elevator pitch on The Wheel of Time? Yeah. So The Wheel of Time is based on a book series by Robert Jordan, and it's about this universe that is like kind of post-apocalyptic. They show the ruins of, you know, skyscrapers in a, a prior advanced civilization in the show. Uh, but it's essentially kind of a high fantasy series where there's lots of of magic. There's no wizards. Wait, yet, they do? But there's the, the skyscraper yeah. thing? Yeah. Huh. I guess yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> Did yeah, you read these and books? Yeah, I read the first one. They're real dense. I don't remember any of this post-apocalyptic thing. Well, I mean, it's not it they they allude to it in the show that like I don't huh. remember if it's in the book or not, but that like, you know, the dragon uh broke the world last time and set us back a thousand years. Oh, that's so it true. kind of yeah. it alludes to that maybe that like it was a modern society that got set back and now they're working their way back. It's like, you know, I don't know. I don't, but, that seems wrong to me. I'm not positive, but, but I don't know, but okay. That's not even okay. the point. Continue. <laughs> yeah. So the whole idea is that there's this person that's born and it's called, they're called the dragon. Sure. And then like these like wizardesses, female wizards, let's say. The Aes Sedai. Sure. Yeah. The Aes Sedai. Uh, they have to find this person and take them to the White Tower. We don't know specifically why. It's got a lot of elements of like a classic quest. Yeah, wait, can I, can I jump in? You're just saying that there is an ancient order of women who have studied mm-hmm. magic for generations that are looking for the birth of a messiah. Mm-hmm. If we don't it's get not an like email Dune at all. from Chris Gomez. It's not like Dune at all. We're going to lose my mind. Okay, keep going. Oh, yeah. No, it's... It's adjacent to Dune. It's in all a lot the of same ways. shit. It's like we're waiting for that one special summon to be born to fulfill the prophecy. It's fine. It's everything. Mm-hmm. It's Star Wars. I mean, there's it's it exactly. It's it's fantasy, yes, science fiction. It's it's the the methodology that's been established, yeah. you know. Tolkien did it. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been in storytelling forever. So yeah. it's all about what you do with that established model and how you make it cool and entertaining. And for me, this show kind of falls in like a weird area. Cause there's like really, it's really punctuated by tremendous violence. Yes. But it's also like really pretty to look at. And there's some great, you know, forest scapes and cool things happening and terrible villains. I don't know. I just like high fantasy and I love that, things like this are getting funded and getting made uh, because I watched the Shannara series on oh, right, MTV right. and they bastardized some of my favorite books, like very not cool with the way that series shook down. Um, I am not as well versed in the wheel of time universe as far as the novels, but I'm really enjoying the series so far. So it has my stamp of approval. It's pretty engaging. I think it's something like a casual, fantasy fan would enjoy uh-huh. and i think i'm definitely more than a casual fan i'm a pretty avid fan yeah, and yeah. i'm i'm still really enjoying it so uh i think it's well made it's it's fun to look at and there's some cool powers and i think it's it progresses really rapidly you hit a point yeah, yeah. 
I believe it was episode three or four where it was just, there was so many like, oh shit moments Yes, where, you know, it just hits that right gear. Like the characters are established and then you're, you're off on the freeway, just going to town. So if you give it time, I think you'll enjoy it. I'm enjoying it. I'm caught up four episodes out right now. So wheel of time. I'm into it. Yeah, dude, I read, um, I, I swear it must've been middle school, which is absurd because they are such dense books. There's, I, if I'm not mistaken, there's like 13 or 14 of these and they're all like, you know, like, like 11 to 1500 pages. They're huge. They're, they're like encyclopedias. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Um, and like you said, Robert Jordan, I think, um, I think I wonder if Robert Jordan passed away. I'm pretty sure that his son took over writing them. Um, I think he died back in like the, the mid aughts, like 2005 or eight or something like that. Um, and his, I think it was his son took over writing like the final three or four books. Um, but I got okay. through when I was younger, I read and maybe didn't retain most of it, but I read like the first six or seven and the eye of the world is the first one. And and the thing that I look to for both fantasy, high fantasy and sci-fi, and this includes movies is the world building. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking if nothing else, like Robert Jordan has put in so much effort into fully realizing this idea of the world he's clearly spent a lot of time thinking about. And my apprehension in going into watching this series is that uh, the limitations, maybe not of technology, um, but of of budgeting or, or I can't think of who produced this, but I was worried that it wouldn't be able to fully capture the world that was put on the page. The same thing that we kind of talked about with why Dune this version of Dune in 2021 worked better than the, uh, the eighties version is like we had the mm-hmm. technology and the, the, um, the money behind it to actually make this happen. And I will say just based on the first episode, I think casting is pretty good. I also think the, mm-hmm. the a lot happens in the first episode and there is a pretty big CGI ish battle with a combination of people in suits and, um, CGI creatures. And it's, it's not great, but if you look back on any, fantasy series definitely if not just movie series um first episodes are often pretty rough so i'm my one question i suppose at this point for me personally is like do episodes two three and four seem like they had more money behind the production or is it all kind of in that same vein as the first one Hmm. pretty close to the same maybe a little bit better okay that's it, fine i, that's I fine. did definitely yeah i definitely didn't notice a marked improvement Okay. The other thing that I kind of bothered me of the first one is that it, I didn't realize how derivative it would feel seeing it on screen to something like Lord of the Rings. Like there's a couple shots where I was like, this is, this is ripped out of Tolkien pretty hard. And the first, there was an episode, there was an episode. Uh, I think it was the first or second episode. Yeah. Um, and two of the characters were talking to each other. Yeah. Um, and I, somebody said something and I was straight up like, because we're going to Mordor, Mr. Frodo. I know, dude. Um, there's the, there's moments for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, cause so the fellowship of the ring, the first of the Lord of the Rings books came out in, in like the mid fifties and the wheel of time, the first of, or, or the eye of the world, the first of the wheel of time series came out in, uh, 1990 something, maybe 1990. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe it's a cop out to some extent to be like, well, yes, of course, like every fantasy thing kind of stems from Tolkien. Like he's the grandfather of, of modern fantasy. I don't even know if there was fantasy before that, but he's like the benchmark of what that genre would become. So like I'm forgiving of the idea that it might be a bit derivative, but the way that they translated, translated it to the screen in at least episode one, I was like, all right, like y'all couldn't do a little bit more imaginative stuff than this. I, I don't know. 
I was a little drunk when I watched it too. So it's hard to say. I'll watch it again. Yeah. Give it a chance because you know, the way I look at it is, is Tolkien, he made the mold for sure. You know, so basically everything that came after is just standing on the shoulders of a giant. Yeah. And you know, the question is how do they make it their own? How do they, they deviate from it and make the characters more interesting within that formula? Because there's no escaping the formula. It's present. It's there. It, it is what it is. So right. you have to get past that and see what they're doing in this individual story to make it endearing. Yes. And also a big part of me enjoying this so much is I just want more fantasy content. For sure. Like, even if it is a little derivative at times, who doesn't want a TV series that makes me think of three of the greatest movies ever made? Right. Well, what you were saying before is like, is the not the issue. It's the reason I think The Harder They Fall worked as well as it did is because it, it took a formula, the Western formula, yes, and mm-hmm. and put a different spin on it. Yeah. Not not in a story sense, but like in a in a in a an aesthetic sense and in a perspective sense. Yeah, and, more and, in the execution. Yeah, and I'm just not sure yet that the uh Wheel of Time is going to do that. But I'm really, really hopeful that it will. Do you know how many episodes are gonna be in the first I assume they're doing it by season? Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, I'm gonna keep my eyes peeled. If you guys want to watch it, it is on I want to say Amazon Prime video. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if you get a chance to watch it, let us know what you think. Johnny, what else do you have in your hot and bothered segment? this? Uh, week? The only other thing I have is a movie that I watched while we were on our little hiatus. Is this a Tom which, Hanks movie? Yup. Finally. Okay, good. <laughs> Finally. What you've, do you mean? You've just been talking about it for a while. Yeah. I've been very excited for this to drop. It dropped on November 5th uh, and it is called Finch. It yeah. is a movie starring Tom Hanks, Caleb Landry Jones, and Seamus the Dog. That's what the hell? What's Seamus the dog? Well, it's a dog whose name is Seamus. It's not like a famous dog that I should know or anything. It is now, bro. You okay. better you better get on that <laughs> Seamus tip. All right, all right. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, yeah. I will read you the synopsis and I'll vamp a little bit. A robot that lives on a post-apocalyptic Earth, which was built to protect the life of his dying creator's beloved dog, learns about love, friendship, and the meaning of human life. Well, that's nice. Uh, yeah, man, this is like a post-apocalyptic survival type situation that really centers around this man-made robot that's like yeah. an AI type, you know, R2-D2, or not R2-D2, C3, wait, R2-D2, wait, yeah. which one's the tall one? C3PO. C3PO is One's a robot, R- one's an android, yeah? You're going yeah. for android. The one that's humanoid. Yeah, it's the one that in the spoiler alert for the later Star Wars. I just, it's it's just nice to say goodbye to my friends. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's the one that All speaks right, so at C3PO. Three, yeah. So very 3PO adjacent, <laughs> sure. but also like super clumsy, like just got his AI chip plugged in. Didn't just him figuring out how to be a robot or like person. Chappy. Yeah, kind of, but better. Or like the like deaf. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I think this movie's really worth a watch. It was so endearing. It was feel bad and feel good at the same time. It was like gritty, super post-apocalyptic. And it was all centered around like making sure this dog has a good life. And it was just so pure and yeah. like feel good and well acted. Tom Hanks did a great job with it. Uh, I was blown away by how much I actually yeah. enjoyed it. It was a really nice piece of, of like character study science fiction. So I would highly recommend watching Finch on Apple TV plus. 
we should have switched orders in this because I realized I did have, I wanted to participate in the movie discussion. So what we should have done is had me say a movie you should avoid first. And I, I think that you've seen this. I don't know why I feel like this, but did you watch Red Notice? Oh yeah. Did you like it? It was fine. <laughs> uh, really quick, out of out of 10, Finch. Out of 10, Finch, like eight, six. Is it logged in your letterboxed? Uh, I don't think I rated it, but it is logged. Okay. Uh, Red Notice for me in my letterbox is two out of five, which translates for the uh, mathematically challenged to four out of 10, which now that I'm saying that out loud feels too high. Um, <laughs> if you don't know Red Notice, um, it's a Netflix produced movie uh, directed by Ross and Marshall Thurber. It came out this year. And the uh, synopsis on Letterbox is pros and cons. An Interpol, an Interpol issued red notice is a global alert. They're just defining the name of the movie. Is a global alert to hunt and capture the world's most wanted. But when a daring heist brings together the FBI's top profiler and two rival criminals, there's no telling what will happen. And it stars um, Ryan Reynolds and Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Gal Gadot and um. Dwayne Johnson is the FBI profiler. And there's even a joke in the movie. Like you don't look like a standard profiler. Cause he's not, he doesn't play it very well. Ryan Reynolds plays Deadpool. Basically there's even some fourth mm-hmm. wall shattering stuff. And Gal Gadot plays like an art thief who is apparently pretty smart and hot. And like, that's her thing. Like she's attractive and that's why she can get away with stuff. And mm-hmm. what I wrote in my letterbox review is that it's weird to me that Ryan Reynolds, like half heartedly whistling the Indiana Jones theme song, which happens in this movie is what made me so intensely aware of how much of a failed like action adventure movie this actually is. Like literally every performance falls flat and the, like the plots painfully predictable down to the moment that they, they set up a sequel. It's the same thing we talked about with the heart of they fall. Like it's just a money grab. Um, mm-hmm. It's so visually boring and uninspired. The dialogue, it, the dialogue feels like, it was generated by like some AI engine, which was just been fed like every single Ryan Reynolds and the rock movie since like 2000. It was, it was rough, man. Like I would, I would honestly have saved myself the two hours and just like watched free guy, which I thought was good or Moana watch Moana again. It gets the, the, the two parts of those dudes personalities and gets it right. I think red notice I thought was so, it was so terrible. I'm going to change my rating. I can't, (laughs) I think it's against the rules. I should have gone lower. That's too high. Two out of five stars is too high. Change your rating. Uh, I haven't seen it in a few weeks and I've been drinking today, so I think that's not correct. But if I watch hey. it again, which I won't unless I have to, um, I will probably change that rating because that's that's you know, tough. somebody wise once said, write drunk and edit sober. I think you should do the opposite. Write drunk and edit sober. You think you should edit drunk? I don't think that's correct because I have edited this <laughs> podcast sober and the stuff we say when we are drinking needs to be edited sober, my friend. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't need to be edited at all because we are golden gods and the, I kind of liked red notice. So fight me. It's bad, man. And you can like it. Oh, it's, it's terrible. The other tragic it's thing a is shit movie. This, this diary entry is logged on my birthday. So I watched red notice on my birthday. Oh, that's a terrible birthday. Terrible birthday. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, anyways. Okay. So that's all I have for hot and bother. Do you have anything else? No, I don't think so. Happy late birthday. Oh, that's sweet. Thanks. A little, I mean, I feel like I forced it by saying I watched Red Notice on my birthday, so I'll take it, but I'm not happy about it. Well, I don't know when your birthday is. I'm a you don't bad know, friend. I got you a vest. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a terrible friend. I Since I got off Facebook, I don't know when anyone's fucking birthday is. Yeah. You know what's fun is that I have literally everybody on our Patreon's birthday in our calendar 
Wow. You're way, you're the Leslie Nope of this relationship. You are a better friend with me to our patrons than you are by yourself to me, which is, which I guess is a testament to how great it is to be on Patreon, maybe. So join Patreon. And it, it just shows that I, I need help. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, shamelessly plugging our stuff. So I think that's the end of the episode. Do you want to thank people we got to thank and get us out of here? <laughs> yeah, let's get out of here. Thanks to all of our wonderful patrons. We look forward to having movie night with you real soon. And the bar hang stoked for that. Any patrons in particular? Do we have anyone we need to shout out? Why are you putting me on the spot? Literally every episode. I don't, that's your thing. I don't want to say it this time. Why? I was just hoping it would be the smooth transition where this episode wouldn't be what it is without the support of (laughs) Bailey minority and all of our friends on Patreon and our friends at the handlebar. Thank you for your constant undying loving support. We really do appreciate it. Johnny Summers. What a great time, my friend. I've missed you so much. Thank you for being kind of okay. I'm perfectly acceptable, but I'm consistently average. What a thing to strive for. Remember everybody. Watch good movies, drink okay beer if you want, but most importantly, remember your friends' birthdays. They'd appreciate it. Have a great Uh, time. (laughs) Well, now I feel like a dick. (laughs) This is Fresh Hop Cinema.